0: Good morning, North Holland. So I got a little bit afraid about five minutes ago that maybe someone was going to pull a prank on me and take my script away from up here. So I got a little afraid. Um, luckily, it's still here. So I'm feeling good about that as we start. Um, so before we dive into today's text and the sermon, I thought it might be appropriate to just spend a moment or two introducing myself. I know I've gotten to know quite a few of you, but a lot of you I haven't had the chance or the pleasure of getting to know yet. So if you don't know, my name is Benjamin DeBoer. I'm a second year student at Western Theological Seminary. I'm studying to get my MDiv to be a pastor just like Pastor Stephen. So I'm so glad to be in this space where I get to to learn to shadow him and to be part of this congregation and to help serve you. So thank you for that. I hail from Northwest Iowa, another Dutch reformed area just like Holland and Zealand. I was a college baseball player. I love reading and writing. I love board games and I love the great outdoors. So if you have even one of these things in common with me, I hope that's an easy way for us to begin to connect or enter into conversation. So after the service, you don't have to comment on my sermon. You, are f- you feel free to, please. But if you want to engage in some other conversation or ask me or my wife some questions, that'd be wonderful. And if I'm sharing about myself, I would be remiss if I didn't share about that I'm happily married to my wonderful wife, Nicole, who is my greatest supporter in everything. So even if I really mess up the next 15 or 20 minutes that I'm up here, I know I can go home and at least she'll still accept me. But luckily, I'm not too worried about that because even in the short time that I've been here at North Holland, I felt very, very loved and accepted. And I just appreciate you guys for accepting us into this congregation so readily and for me to be able to learn here. So that's enough on me for a while. So I'd like to introduce what we'll be talking about this morning. As per the last few weeks, we'll be continuing on in the Apostles' Creed, and the part that we'll be tackling this morning is the phrase, Jesus ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he will judge the living and the dead. So this is the last portion of the Creed that speaks directly about Jesus. So you will no doubt hear me drawing in other portions of previous sermons. For one, Stephen has, like, preach some wonderful sermons that have taught us a lot of things about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. And number two, the creed is all one big unit. You can't pick and choose what to believe or not to believe. They build upon one another, and they form a cohesive whole. So before I continue onwards with today's sermon, I want to address something that maybe a few of you might have picked up on. So Pastor Stephen spoke last week on the phrase, and he descended to hell, and I'm picking up this week on the phrase, he ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, where you will judge the living and the dead in the future. So there's a little phrase in there that's you know, a little bit important that we're actually kind of skipping over. And it says this, in the third day he rose again from the dead. So the reason we're, not skipping, we're, we're skipping over is not because it's not important. The resurrection event is actually the central element of the Christian faith. Easter sermons are perhaps the most joyous occasion of the entire church year where it's declared that Christ is risen and that he is risen indeed, it's perhaps for this reason that I'm preaching on what I am today. Christ is risen, this phrase, yes, it speaks to the resurrection event, but it also speaks to the work that Jesus is doing right now. He reigns in heaven and continues to be our Savior, and sometimes we forget this idea. We see Jesus' work as something that was accomplished in the past, or the resurrection as an event that once it's over, we close the rest of the book. And that's not the case. We've failed to ponder the question, now what? And that's what I hope to speak into this morning. But as we go forward, I promise you that the resurrection event itself is integral to all the things I'm talking about today. So lastly, there's a lot to discuss even within this single phrase of the creed. So I won't be able to go too in depth into each of them today, but I promise that we will go through each of them. And I hope it provides us a good picture of what is in this section of the creed and why it's so important to us as believers. So let's open with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this weekend with beautiful fall weather and the chance to be gathered as your, as your community of believers in this place today. Lord, give me the words to say. Help ease my anxieties as I'm up here. And Lord, for us as a congregation body, I pray that we have ears to hear your word hearts to love you and those around us, and minds to get, begin to get to know you more and more. We pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen. So congregation, let's begin this morning by reading a few verses from the book of Acts, specifically chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. So just a few verses. So it says this. verses 31 through 46. So a little bit longer passage than just the few verses we read in Acts. Matthew's text says this. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or even clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then you will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or in prison or sick and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So this portion of the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at this morning can be broken up into three phrases. I'll be tackling each in turn this morning. First is the ascension into heaven, which concerns the few verses we read in Acts. Then we have second, how Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And lastly is Jesus, his coming role as judge over the living and the dead. And these latter two concern more the Matthew text that we just read. I won't be spending equal time on each of these three things, but we will work through them all together. So let's start with the Ascension. So when I first sat down to brainstorm what this portion of the sermon would look like, I first entitled it, Good Things Happen on the Mountains, because this happens on Mount Olivet. I was thinking about relating it to my love of hiking, my love of mountains, love of nature, and maybe bringing other biblical stories that happened on the mountaintop, because there are quite a few of them, and maybe speaking to God's love, like mine, of nature in the mountains. And although I'm still pondering this idea, I think there's some truth in it, that God does love nature and mountains far more than I do, I don't think it's really what the text in Acts is driving at. The few verses we read, just a few verses, are extremely brief concerning the ascension. And as we read two angels or messengers, whoever these figures are, clothed in white, they quickly come and tell the disciples to not stay on the mountaintop, but to go back to life at hand and to begin doing the work that Jesus had prepared for them. So the fact of the matter is that the ascension itself was simply part of the process, and the ascension is not even a unique event just to Jesus. If We look in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 2, which if you haven't read, you should. It's very, very interesting, some of the things that go on there, but there's a prophet named Elijah, and he ascends into heaven too, and he gets to do so on a flaming chariot instead of just being like hid by a cloud. So I think maybe Elijah takes the cake in that instance of just being, you know, really cool. But the fact remains, if the ascension itself, ascending into heaven, is not a unique event, why is it in the creed and why do we speak of it as so important? And to this, I want to make sure that we know it's important for two reasons in particular. First, and perhaps the most important thing, is that the ascension is a bodily ascension. In heaven right now is a human being letting us know that, that all of us, not just our minds, our intellect, or our spiritual nature matters, but the physical part of us matters as well to God. Now, more will be said on this in just a few weeks when we go over the phrase in the creed that says we believe in the resurrection of the body. I think it was worth noting this morning because it's a very important idea. And the second thing that makes this important is that the ascension and beforehand, the resurrection itself, it moves us away from last week where we spoke to Jesus descending to hell, descending into the depths. And it lets us know that he did not stay there. He moved forward from there. He conquered death He conquered all that we have gone through and drives us forward into where Jesus is in the here and now. And it's important to acknowledge this point. The ascension was a one-time thing, that however important it was and still remains to us, it's an event that is done. The second phrase, him seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, is what Jesus is doing now. And in a few minutes, when we talk about Jesus as judge, that's something that will come. So within this little phrase, we have past, present, and future all put together. they all build on one another as we read previously in Matthew 25 specifically verse 31 says this when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne this one sentence shares what we have just gone over the ascension by saying the son of man has come into his glory and leads us into his position in the here and now seated upon the throne so I guess what does it mean to be seated at one's right hand What's the significance of this phrase? And I think I maybe just answered my own question there. That being seated at one's right hand is a place of significance. It's a place of importance, a place of honor and of status. So I don't know about you but at large family gatherings when I was young, and I know I'm still pretty young, but I'm thinking like 10 years ago or you know, when I was 10 to maybe early teens, whenever we'd go to my grandparents' for family meals over thanksgiving and christmas i always sat to see, sit right next to my grandparents not only was it because i loved them dearly and didn't get to see them all that often but they were seen as the hosts of the gathering they were the oldest the wisest the ones with the most life experience and the people we saw as the head of the gathering having gathered the family across all the places we were and it felt good to sit next to them not only did i feel more in their presence but i also felt more seen Because every time that one of my family tried to engage my grandparents in conversation, they'd inevitably see me in their peripherals. And for an attention-seeking young boy, I really liked being seen. So for some of you, that maybe doesn't strike a chord because you like to stick to the shadows or stick to the corner and not be seen. And I completely get that. But the point I'm trying to make that Jesus in the here and now is like I was next to my grandparents, that he's seated right next to the Father. And when we, the body of Christ, look to the Father, we inevitably see the Son. Yet unlike my previous example, Jesus has been given this seat, whereas in my situation, I just made sure I sat down before my cousins did. Jesus, due to his life of obedience and his status as God's only Son, is given a name above every other name in an honorific seat that no one else can possess. And it's from this place that Jesus acts as our mediator, our, our advocate, our great high priest. So think of Jesus as the one who has the Father's ear. In places and in situations where seemingly no one is talking or speaking on our behalf, Jesus is there and is doing so. The book of Hebrews tells us over and over again that Jesus intercedes for us and he's able to do so perfectly and forever. And he can do this because he came to earth, lived a human life, suffered on the cross, descended to the depths, and has gone before us in every single way, even ascending to heaven where he awaits us all. So as you can probably see, all that we have spoken about Jesus in the previous week, weeks have a part to play in what we're talking about today. Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension are all precursors to him assuming the role that he is playing for us in the here and now. And please don't forget that Jesus is still for us, His work for us is not something that's done. It's something that is happening now. Whereas some of these other things, although they remain extremely important, like his birth, his death, his ascension, those are one-time things. But what Jesus is doing for us right now is continual and is important. And there's one more role that we need to talk about when it comes to Jesus today. And that is that of Jesus as judge. So now this last section is where everything comes together. Like I've said previously, these phrases build upon one another. Jesus' ascension led to his current work as advocate, mediator, high priest, all these titles that we can put to his work now. And what to come, Jesus as judge over the living and the dead, is important. This portion of the creed is what the passage we read in Matthew is really all about. I will be the first to admit that such a passage can be rather daunting or frightening or caused me to sometimes go into a deep spiral of reflection at some times. And there are a few reasons for this and why I initially find it hard to wrestle with this text. For one, I oftentimes get the wrong picture of Jesus as judge. I sometimes see Jesus standing behind a podium above the nations that he is judging in a condescending manner. And I know it's not in Scripture, but sometimes I picture Jesus as this judge who arbitrarily chooses who's going to be on his right and who's going to be on his left. And that's hard additionally matthew's text speaks at length to sins of omission things we fail to do or take part in which is a hard concept to grasp that sometimes not doing something or failing to participate in something before us can be just as much against god's will as us intentionally doing something that is sinful and when i consider this my anxious mind starts to spiral thinking of all the moments that maybe i didn't respond to a situation or I didn't act in a situation that I was supposed to. And that coupled with all the times that I know I sinned, all the times I've intentionally sinned, the list I made for myself starts to get longer and longer. And when I look, as Jesus a judge? I sometimes think, well man, this is not looking good for me. And as we'll see in just a few minutes, this is not a completely accurate picture of Jesus as judge. So we have that to look forward to. But I think that right now, this idea of Jesus as this judge who's sometimes looking down at us condescendingly, who is taking a list of everything that we have done. I'm sure I'm not the person, the only person in this room who has thought of Jesus in that way. So I thought, rather maybe a little bit humorously, that right now is maybe a time for a little bit of an illustration about what we sometimes picture Jesus as judge to look like. So, what's going to happen here? Um, is one, I'm not gonna call on any of you in this illustration because I feel like a lot of you have probably been called on by Pastor Stephen during a lot of illustrations. So I thought that since it's my chance to be up here, I'm going to use Pastor Stephen in in this illustration so that you guys can uh, laugh at him a little bit or laugh at me or whatever this looks like. But what's gonna happen is I'm going to be portraying the role of Jesus as judge, but I promise I'm not gonna be playing it very well. I'm gonna be playing it as a caricature of sometimes the way we read this. But what's gonna happen is... uh, but let's begin at this point. Stephen, would you please stand up um, at this point in time? So, so thank you so much, Stephen, for, for joining us this morning. Um, this is your, your, your judgment trial. Um, we're going to see how this goes. Um, it says here that uh, we're charging you with being a sinful man. Do you, do you plead guilty or innocent to this idea? Guilty. Guilty. Well, I'm, I'm very glad. I'm really glad that I'm wearing a microphone for yeah, this. Yeah, thank too. you. Thank you for <laughs> turning the mic on. I wasn't expecting that, but guilty. thank you. I appreciate you saying guilty. That would have been really embarrassing if you would have said innocent, because you know I, I do see everything that happens. But Sh- should I get on my knees? Um, that's up to you. If you no. feel like that's more appropriate, you definitely can. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling yeah. it. So even though we we do know that you're guilty, and I appreciate that, um, we're just going to make sure we look over a few. Um, specific instances to make sure that you're sinful. So, my messenger boy, Jake, would you be able to bring bring the scroll? Can you show that to everyone? W- will you say what that says to everyone? Uh, it says, "Stephen sins." Okay. <laughs> okay. Why Thank you, you so much. That's not funny. <laughs> Thank you so much. I did first. So, yeah. Stephen sins here. Um, we're going to take a look. Let's make sure I open this the right way. All right, Stephen, you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the list we have here, Steven, yeah. I mean, I've seen longer, but I've also seen shorter, so I mean, you know, okay, oh man. So I'm seeing a lot of instances of lying on here. Yeah, I, I caught those. Ooh, this one's a fun one that we can look at. So it says at one point that you told your children that there were no more cookies left, and there were clearly <laughs> like six of them left. And it says right after this that once you put them to bed, you ate all six of them. <laughs> So, not only is there lying and deceit here, but also gluttony. So, that's like, a th- <laughs> that's like a three for one right there. Ooh, a little bit rough there. Caitlin was gone and it was a hard week. <laughs> okay, okay. Excuses, excuses. Fair. Um, I'm also seeing right here, uh, there's there's many instances of you speeding, like going 55 and a 40. I know there wasn't a cop there, but I totally saw it. Like, I was watching. <laughs> All those rolled through stop signs as well. Yeah, it says stop for a reason. Come on, Stephen. Come on. Well, I'm looking at this list, and there's a lot of ones that we probably don't want to bring up this morning, especially with an audience. So we're, gonna, we're maybe going to leave it at that. But uh, clearly, clearly you are a sinful person. That's, that's okay. You know, most people are. Um, but we're just going to move on to the sentencing part. Um, Uh, there's one of my favorite like disciples and followers his name's Paul have you ever heard of him Uh, yeah I have you have heard of Paul well that's good you being a pastor I'm glad you've heard of Paul (laughs) um but it says in one of his letters specifically the letter to the Romans that the wages of sin is death so what we figured out is you are a sinner and you pleaded guilty we've looked at a few of your sins so I think this is a pretty open and shut case um yeah, I'm going to sentence you to death, <laughs> Pastor Stephen. Uh, we'll figure out the, actually how it's going to be carried out later, but we've got a lot, enough other people coming in today to face mm-hmm. judgment as well. But we'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, Jake, would you be willing to take the scroll of sins back to the library of sins? <laughs> and we'll go from there. So, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Thank you so much. You can return to your seat. So, thank you for uh, being willing to join in that illustration, and hopefully I am still the intern here next week, <laughs> which we will see. So the fact of the matter is this illustration was meant to be humorous and a little sarcastic. But also, as I was writing this, I made sure that within it is actually a lot of truth. Jesus is the judge who judges us. He does know all the things that we have done or haven't done that are against his will, even more so than we know them. It's also true that Pastor Stephen is a, sin, a sinful man, just like everyone else in this room. I can't even imagine how long our scrolls would be if God actually had a scroll for each of us that we had to read. And it's also true that in Romans, it does say that the wages of sin is death. So all this is true, even though I played it out in a little bit more of a humorous manner. But unlike my illustration, the sentence is not going to be carried out. And why is that? It's because the one who judges us is the same one who has gone before us in every way. Jesus, the one who came to this earth, walked with his people, showed them how to live, taught them how to live, died for them, fixed their relationship with God, and continually is working for our good, is the same person who judges us. We don't have a disinterested third party. We have a judge and jury who are a little too close to the situation at hand and are biased in our favor. That doesn't mean that our sins don't matter and that we will be fine if we refuse hospitality to the homeless Don't give clothes to those who are need to be clothed or food to the hungry or all these things that Matthew says. These things matter. And if we are truly in relationship with God, we will have an eye for these things and participate in them and seek to obey God's commandments. Yet the fact remains that these things, doing them or failing to do them, is not the end of the story. We don't read the text in Matthew in isolation. I do not want you to leave this church this morning and start making a list of your sins and begin worrying whether you are one of the sheep on Jesus' right hand or one of the goats on his left. Know that we, the body of Christ, are at his right hand. We have a place prepared for us, just as Jesus is at the Father's right hand, a place prepared for him. So having gone through this entire section of the Apostles' Creed, we're perhaps left with the following question, so what? how does this impact me? For one, take heart in the fact that Christ is risen. He descended to the depths, faced all that we have faced and conquered it. He rose from the grave and declared everlasting victory over death. He then ascended into heaven from where he works on our behalf till the end of days, which at that time he will be a very biased judge as he cares, loves, and takes care of his flock. We have no need to fear. We are at his right hand, the sheep of his flock. If we truly believe all that we've said about Jesus in the last few weeks and seek to obey his commandments, we shouldn't be afraid of the text in Matthew at all. Rather, may Matthew's words help us to keep our eyes open to all the ways in which we can be doing God's will around us. But don't let them lock you into place and freeze you up in fear. For we don't do these things that are listed in order to attain our salvation but because it is right is what we are called to do. May we be a people who do good works, not for our own good, but for the sake of others. So congregation, let us end today in this knowledge that Christ who ascended, who acts on our behalf and will call us home in his timing is with us always. May he penetrate our hearts so that we can see Jesus in those around us, clothing those in need, opening our doors in hospitality, feeding the hungry, and seeking out the lost. Amen.